You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Um, I wanted to, of course, as we're getting started, remind you that uh, as typically we are going to be taking communion in the service today. So uh, if you haven't done so already, go ahead and grab some elements, whatever you'll be using to take the bread and juice today. And uh, Max will be leading us in that a little bit later in the service. As, of course, um, many of you know, we're in the uh, season of Advent, um, which is the time leading up to Christmas. And as we uh, are talking about Advent and and what Advent is, um, Max, uh, which I didn't think to do last week, Max kind of pointed out and explained a little bit of what Advent is and why we do it, because we don't all come from liturgical um, um, faith traditions. And... uh, Particularly because we are meeting so far apart, I find that the liturgical calendar is something that can really bring us together. Um, Because we celebrate this season right now, not just here at Central, but with Christians uh, around the globe. And um, the church calendar is one of those really beautiful things that kind of unites us together, regardless of the denominational backgrounds or the differences in theology and beliefs that we hold. Um, It's one of those core things, along with baptism and um, the Eucharist, Lord's Supper, communion, um, that kind of reminds us that we are all doing this thing together. Um, And Advent is a particularly interesting time because it is both um, this celebration of and waiting for uh, the birth of Christ. And, um, you know, and that's what we often think about with the Advent season is that we're leading up to Christmas when Jesus is born. But at the same time, Advent just as much is an anticipation of um, of Christ coming back, um, whatever that means and whatever that looks like for, for you or, or for us, um, you know, the, the changing and transforming of this world to be more in Christ's image is, is as much a part of what Advent is, as remembering that Jesus came. This, uh, the, the four weeks are hope, peace, joy, and love. And they're uh, a way for us to wait in anticipation of what's going on. Um, So we hold those things um, in kind of attention um, because while this whole season is about waiting, um, it does have these huge tensions between uncertainty and hope, between fear and longing, between the now, the present that we have, and the not yet, God's promises for what's going to happen and the hope and transformation we want to see that's not here yet. So this is a time of preparation for the birth of Christ, but also the anticipation of Christ coming and moving and working in the world. So it's a dangerous time for those of us who consider ourselves people of faith because this whole season is about us examining the end and the beginning of our faith 
together. Um, so I'm so excited that you're here doing Advent with us. Historically, the church has, uh, has lit candles as a symbol of that. And you'll see in the, uh, in the group here, I have my other camera is set up for the Advent candles. And since we're not able to uh, be together uh, in a sanctuary, um, this is a symbol of that. And so you'll see the first candle has already been lit. It's the candle of hope. Um, for uh, last year, and just in a little bit, we're going, or for last week, rather, um, in, in just a little bit, just a few moments, we're going to be uh, lighting the candle this week for peace. And so what you'll be hearing about this entire Sunday is um, peace and the anticipation of peace and what that means. Um, and then that candle will stay lit for the rest of this service, and it'll be lit next service, and we'll add the candle for joy. Um, but as we get things started, would you join me in prayer? God of hope, God of peace, we gather together this morning, meeting all from our different homes. In this Advent season, in a time of waiting, waiting for the birth of Jesus, the transformational story that draws us all together, brings us here to this place. And we look forward with the anticipation of hope and peace, the peace that you call your church into, the peace that you call us to be a part of, God, this Advent season isn't just about us doing the work of peace. It's about our prayer calling in peace here. Whatever that means, in whatever mystical sense that means, God, we pray for your divine peace. God, it's with all of this in mind, brief moments of silence, brief moments of slowing ourselves in the middle of all that's happened this year. This morning, we ask for peace. Amen. Instead of a responsive reading this morning, I wanted to share with you a blog post that was written by a Rachel Held Evans. Um, and many of you have been around Central a long time have known that uh, Rachel was uh, a big influence on this community and on those of us who've called Central our homes. So if you don't know her, um, her work is wonderful. She was a fantastic, progressive, uh, powerful worker for change um, in the world and change in the church. Um, 
But I wanted to share this is a Lenten, uh, I mean, an Advent reading that she put together um, several years ago uh, about this Sunday piece. Today's reading in liturgical calendar comes from Isaiah 40, one through 11. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough place a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I say, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, and when the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Says the city of Judah, here is our God. See, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. During Advent, we talk a lot about preparing for Jesus. We talk about preparing our hearts with prayer and contemplation, preparing our homes with tinsel and trees, preparing our churches with pageants, carols, and candles. But what does it mean to prepare our world for the incarnation? What does it mean to prepare a way for God through a planet groaning from exploitation, through societies plagued by inequity, through religious and political systems corrupted by power and privilege? What does it mean to make a path for God through the streets of Ferguson. You can see when this was written and is still so relevant. Down the halls of power, across the bridges of New York City, down the aisles of our great cathedrals and through the slums of Mumbai. If paying attention to the prophets aligns our dreams with the dream of God and drives us to prophetic action, then the cries of Isaiah in this passage are a reminder that sometimes this means getting into the demolition business. Sometimes this means flattening the mountains of privilege and power, clearing away the obstructions of legalism and leveling the uneven ground of racial, economic and religious inequity. After all, the sages have long told us that there is time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to mend and a time to rend, a time to build and a time to tear down. Maybe this Advent season should be a season of rending and uprooting. 
of tearing down and leveling the ground. Maybe this year we prepare for Jesus, not simply by hanging up wreaths, but by pulling down the broken, unjust systems that tend to obscure God's presence among us by obscuring God's image in our brothers and sisters. Maybe we prepare for God with us by marching with protesters rather than watching TV, by shutting it down rather than lighting it up. The prophet sparked the imagination and directed the actions of Mary, Elizabeth, Zechariah, and John the Baptist, who spoke of a God who topples rulers from their thrones and lifts up the poor, who scatters the proud and who unites the humble. For John, the call of the prophet had practical implications that cost him his reputation, his comfort, and his life. The miracle child of Elizabeth and Zechariah, John the Baptist, was probably expected to follow in the footsteps of his father and become a temple priest. But John didn't stay in the temple among ceremonial baths. John went out to the rivers, to the deserts, to the people. Calling them to a single dramatic baptism to symbolize a reoriented heart to declare that every valley shall be filled, every mountain hill shall be made low. Prepare the way of the Lord, he told people. Make path, make straight his path. In other words, God is on the move. No mountain or hill, no ideology or ritual or requirement or law can obstruct God any longer. Temples cannot contain a God who flattens mountains. Ceremonial baths cannot contain a God who flows through rivers. A mighty and unjust empire cannot withstand a God who levels the hills of inequity, who regards the powerful elite as withering grass, and who raises the humble and puts the powerful in their place. Repentance then means reorienting around God's priorities, leaving the old ways of obstruction and supremacy behind and joining in the great paving of the new path, a paving of the way, the demolition of every man-made impediment between God and God's people so that the whole earth can celebrate God, God's uninhibited presence within it as well and welcome the arrival of the Messiah. If you wanna be a part of God's work in the world, then help prepare the way. We cannot see Emmanuel, God with us, if we can't see God's image in our black brothers or our lesbian sisters. We can't make way for a baby in the manger if we can't make way in our lives and in our churches for the poor, the uneducated, the immigrants, and the marginalized. We cannot grasp God's eternal uh, everywhere word so long as we believe that political power and religious prestige are anything but temporal blades of grass that wither in the winter. We can't hear the voice crying from the wilderness if we stay shut up in our castles, hidden in our temples. The promise of Advent is God on the move. The challenge of Advent is to move with God. I wish I knew where to start. At this time, we'll light the candle for peace.
Let's pray. Loving God, in this time of preparation and planning, we thank you for the hope and peace that you unfailingly offer us. Show us the creative power of hope. Teach us the peace that comes from justice. Prepare our hearts to be transformed by you, that we may walk in the light of Christ. Amen. Thanks, Bobo. Um, as Bob mentioned earlier, we're gonna now take communion. So if you haven't had a chance to grab your elements, um, please feel free to do so now. As always, feel free to uh, add your um, what you're using today in the chat if you feel so led. Um, but um, with the continuation of the theme of peace, I will uh, read a short um, prayer. Um, that focuses specifically on this second week, um, just like we did yes, er, last week for hope. Um, we'll do so each week through the Advent season, focusing us on our themes, and then we'll take communion together. So here are these words. The peace of God with us does not come as law and order or enforcement and control. Peace cannot be imposed from on high. Peace cannot be commanded. The peace of God with us is chaotic, wild, unruly, unpredictable. The peace of God with us is collective, liberating us from deadly complicity. Peace is gestating in darkness. It comes unexpectedly. Peace invites our expectation and demands our participation. Prepare the way for peace with justice. May peace be birthed among, within, and through us this Advent. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And I invite you to take the bread or the cracker or the Cheez-It or the marzipan ball, which I brought back this week. Um, and as we take it together, remember that we are the hands and the feet of Christ in this world doing the good work of Advent each day. And likewise, I invite you to take the cup, whatever you have this morning, and remember the covenant of us and God as one God with us, and may we be the light of Christ each day. And now back by popular demand. <clears throat> I'm just kidding, I didn't get a single person demanding it um but we uh if you weren't with us last week everything's okay if you weren't with us last week um we have decided to do some um live music for the first time since march so i hope you enjoy we're just going to do a couple um advent songs um i, I said this last week but i want to say it again um christmas songs and advent songs um, are, bring a lot to them. I think they're very deep um, and rich lyrically. There's also often themes and phrases that many of us don't really use anymore and uh, might not feel as fitting um, for us. But I just invite you to let this time be what it is. You can take this time to meditate. You can um, sing along if you wish, or you can just listen or whatever, whatever it needs to be with you. Um, 
today. So I invite you. We'll sing uh, a couple ones here. And I believe Bob's going to put the lyrics in the chat. Yeah, I got a thumbs up.
the world a better way Even you God with us God with us We wanted to announce our Christmas Eve service. It'll be at 5 o'clock p.m. on Christmas Eve via the Zoom link. It will be a shorter service, um, and we want to remind everyone, if they can, to bring a candle with them for a candle lighting. Um, and then, uh, like usual, the gathering is Wednesday at 7.30. We will be having philosophy at Thursday night at 6 p.m. all via the Zoom link. And then for the book club, we're going to be reading The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. Book club will meet Wednesday, January 6th. We also have a couple blood drives, December 10th and January 11th. And we will be providing dinner to Essencia on New Year's Eve. And folks can contact Max if they're interested in helping out. And then um, finally, this Friday, we will be holding Holy 
a happy hour at 9 p.m. via the Zoom link. So hopefully we'll all see you there. Um, and then finally, just a reminder to everyone um, that we have resources available and we're all available to help out if anybody needs anything. So please reach out to the staff or leadership. Thank you. Thanks so much, Angie. Um, yeah, lots, lots going on. Uh, it's all good stuff. And uh, just so, um, yeah, everybody understands, you know, that meal going to Essencia, that's something uh, we just drop off. That's not actually, because usually post pre-pandemic, we would actually go in and actually physically prepare that meal for the residents of Essencia, which is kind of um, like, a, like a homeless shelter. Um, but now we're just dropping off the meal. So you can participate by contacting Max. I don't want anyone to freak out, be like, why are we going <laughs> to make people dinner at a home? You know, anyway, um, thanks so much. Um, and so now is the time of the service that we call prayers of the people. Um, it's an opportunity. Yeah, please, Max, go ahead. I was just going to add one more thing to that. Thank you for clarifying that. And I've, I've already heard from a couple of you just to frame that. So I'm thinking for this year, like Aaron said, it's a no contact. So we're not actually going to be there um, um, making the meal like we usually do. But since it's New Year's Eve, I thought it might be cool too. If any of you have like New Year's Eve, like meals or dishes or especially stuff on the smaller side that can be replicated. Um, they ask that we prepare for 45 people. So especially like little, I was thinking like little desserts or little snacks. I know all of you, um, you know, come from different uh, traditions and families and um, everyone kind of has their own things that they do. So I was thinking it might be a cool way for us to represent our um, community in that. So that's what I was thinking. If you want to contribute to that and you have like a little dish or something that could be uh, shared with 45 people, let me know and then we'll make sure it gets dropped off. Thanks. Excellent. Thank you, Max. Um, all right. So joys and concerns, uh, prayer requests, words of thanksgiving. Anybody have anything they'd like to share? You can always put it in the chat window uh, if you're more comfortable that way. Otherwise, unmute and just, just speak up. This is a family. It's okay to interrupt. I have a joy. Yeah, please, Gail. I don't remember if I shared, I think I did, about my friend who was struggling with pancreatic cancer. I don't remember if I did. But in any case, I have a friend who's struggling with pancreatic cancers. Um, and she just got results from her ther chemotherapy, and it's shrunk 50%. So that's amazing. That's huge. That, that is amazing. And we just pray for her continued wellness and, and healing in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody else this morning? Uh, yeah, my um, unfortunately, my friend passed away a couple days ago from prostate cancer. We talked about him last week. And we could pray for the Georgie family. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Loving God, we lift up the Georgie family in this hour of grief. Um, we pray for their comfort. We pray for their well-being. We, we pray that they might receive the love and the care and the support they all need right now, including Randy, as he's also grieving. We stand, uh, we sit with our brother as he grieves. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody else. Well, with that, uh, I'm going to go into my talk for today. I saw a um, 
Christmassy meme online recently that I really liked. It said, the true meaning of Christmas is ghosts terrorizing rich people in the middle of the night until they agree to, play, to pay their employees more. <laughs> this is, of course, a take on the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol, right? Uh, the story of Ebenezer Scrooge being terrorized in the middle of the night uh, by three ghosts that convince him to become charitable and just and, and pay his employees a fair wage. Dickens actually wrote that um, not as a quaint and romantic Christmas story meant to warm our hearts, but he wrote it as a scathing critique of the wealthy ruling industrialists of 19th century England and their exploitation of the working class. In his own words, Dickens said that he intended a Christmas carol to be a sledgehammer <laughs> uh, against the status quo. For him, the true meaning of Christmas is again, ghosts terrorizing rich people in the middle of the night until they agree to pay their employees more. And I would argue that this is a biblical understanding of the meaning of Christmas too. We're talking about the Advent theme of peace today. And it's important to understand that Jesus's kind of peace wasn't peace for everyone really, but peace primarily for the poor and the downtrodden, which therefore you know, wasn't a message of peace for the rich and the powerful. Mary speaks of this kind of peace in her song, we call the Magnificat from Luke 1, which we looked at last week. She says, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty and the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Not exactly a peace uh, for the rich and powerful, right? I, I think it's safe to say that if our understanding of Jesus's peace doesn't make the rich and powerful feel feel ill at ease while filling the poor and powerless with hope, then it's not really Jesus's kind of peace we're thinking of. When the angels declared to the shepherds in the fields, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those whom he favors, those whom he favored were literally the shepherds and people like them. Shepherds were among the underclass and among those deemed ritually unclean. The very idea that God declared the birth of his son to them and, and not to kings and priests or to the wealthy and the powerful and the so-called, you know, acceptable ones or something, you know, this was a clear message that Jesus's peace was a peace for the outcasts, a peace for the downtrodden and, and the oppressed. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Jesus wanted the rich and the powerful to know peace too, but only by giving up their wealth and using it to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, etc. This was the only path of peace for them. So, so I think we need to dispense with any notion that Jesus came to make everyone, you know, feel, feel at ease and, and grant everyone peace and comfort. You know, that's kind of the Hallmark Christmas movie version of the gospel. That's, that's the Hallmark version of it. I prefer the Dickens version. In fact, uh, the Dickens version bears a striking resemblance to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus um, from Luke's gospel, uh, Luke chapter 16. The rich man is tormented in hell because he refused to help Lazarus, a poor beggar who starved to death outside his front gate. You could say Jesus was using this parable to terrorize the rich into feeding the hungry, just as Dickens used his story to terrorize the rich into paying people a fair wage. These are just parables, right? But, but parables uh, can be sledgehammers, to use Dickens' words, and I, I think Jesus thought the same. So this was Jesus's kind of peace. And 
What else would we expect from someone who was born to an oppressed people under foreign occupation? Uh, what else would we, we expect from someone who was born to a peasant family that had to flee in the middle of the night to a foreign land uh, to escape the clutches and the murderous intent of the powers that be, aka Herod. Herod wanted Jesus dead, right? Why would we ever think that Jesus's definition of peace wouldn't reflect that background, that lived experience, that reality, and that identity? We have to understand Jesus and his concept of peace within that historical context, within, within that identity. Now, that's a, a different understanding of Christ's peace than the one many of us were raised with, right? I don't know about you, but I was raised being told that Jesus came to make peace between us and God because we were estranged from God since the fall in the Garden of Eden. In other words, Jesus came to fix our broken relationship with God so that we can go to heaven when we die and not hell, right? Now, in a way, Jesus did come to fix our broken relationship with God by calling us to fix our broken relationship with each other. That's how we get right with God. Uh, we get right with each other. There's no other way to quote, you know, get right with God. But that's a completely different understanding of atonement than the one many of us, um, the, the one many of us were raised with. The word atonement means to make at one, at one mint, right? Atonement. The thinking many of us were raised with was that ever since the fall, we have been the enemy of God. And Jesus came to reestablish peace between us. Uh, make us at one again with God you know, through his atoning death so that we can go to heaven and not hell. This also means that you know, we can have a kind of peace of mind now, a kind of psychological relief that comes from knowing that we're no longer doomed and under this, this hellish wrath of God. But nowhere in the Gospels, nowhere in the Gospels, do you find Jesus teaching these ideas? I, I think they come entirely from Paul and not even really a good reading of Paul. <laughs> Uh, and yet this is how most Christians have been taught to think of the meaning of Christmas and the kind of peace that Jesus brought into the world. But it wasn't a kind of personal peace having to do with personal salvation. It was a kind of peace for the poor and powerless, a kind of societal and communal peace that is only realized through the establishment of God's justice in the world or what they called the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. Related to this idea are Jesus's words in Matthew 10. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, Jesus says, but a sword. Uh, this is the Prince of Peace talking, right? <laughs> For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household, end quote. What does this mean? Well, many of us as family members, because we believe that the peace of Christ means loving and accepting our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, right? The peace of Christ means supporting policies and public programs that favor the poor. The peace of Christ means acknowledging racism and white supremacy and saying things like Black Lives Matter and being anti-racist. These are deeply divisive issues that create stife, strife and, and real division even within our closest relationships, like that of our parents and siblings, right? Discipleship is, is costly stuff this way. Taking a stand for justice and fighting for equality and, and naming evil. 
This is divisive stuff. This stuff ends friendships. This stuff, you know, gets you uninvited to family gatherings. <laughs> but this is Jesus's kind of peace. Jesus's peace can be really a, a, a violent kind of peace this way, meaning it, it ruptures relationships. It, it, it causes strife and divisions. <clears throat> I'm reminded of another clever meme I, I saw recently that said, people often ask me who radicalized me as if it wasn't Jesus himself. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that one before. Uh, I love that. Isn't that often the case though? It, it says, it's as if many Christians never actually read the parts of the gospel where Jesus rejected a rigid interpretation of the law or where he favored the poor over the rich. Uh, the sinners over the over the righteous and the outcasts over the so-called acceptable people. He said things like, you know, pick up your cross and follow me. And anyone who doesn't hate their father and mother uh, isn't worthy of me. And Jesus said and did all these radical things. And yet people are shocked that we might actually be radicalized by these words or by Jesus, right? And, and maybe they'll come to see Jesus the way we do one day. Um, but until then, you know, th this difference in understanding will cause great division it will remain really divisive stuff. And let's remember, Jesus himself was estranged somewhat from his own family. In Matthew 12, he's, he's interrupted by his mother and brothers while he's teaching at the temple, right? They wanted him to stop what he was doing and come outside uh, and probably go home, go, go back to Nazareth with them. You know, back then you didn't leave your hometown, you didn't leave your family and, and go off and do what Jesus was doing. But Jesus responded to his mother and brothers by pointing to those around him in the temple that day and saying, you know, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father is my brother and sister and mother. This, this was a radical thing to say in a world where family was everything, you know, much more so than now. In, a, in this kind of world, Jesus was creating a new definition of family, a new kind of social identity that would trump all others. No longer was one's family determined by blood, but by spirit. Jesus's new definition of family included, you know, sex workers and, and tax collectors and Gentiles and Samaritans, the poor, the infirm, um, fishermen and shepherds, uh, the so-called outcasts and the misfits. In this new definition of family, all the man-made religious and social and political boundaries are transgressed. And a kind of peace is established between us and the so-called other. But this kind of peace is a violent peace to some. It upsets those who want to maintain certain power structures and social hierarchies and boundaries between this group and that group. Some people are really um, angered by this kind of peace. Some people are really upset with this kind of peace, right? Um, because some people are really invested in a kind of otherizing, right? So, so Jesus's peace is not a warm, fuzzy kind of peace that makes everyone feel good and at ease. Now, and don't get me wrong, you know, I think we can still find peace in our faith in different ways. I think believing that God shares in our sufferings can be a source of great peace uh, and comfort in difficult times. I also think sensing the presence of God when we're meditating or listening to music or, or uh, enjoying a walk in the woods, I think this too is, is a way of experiencing God's peace and it's beautiful, right? But I think the peace of the gospels, the, uh, the peace Jesus spent his time talking about was a much more practical kind of peace, a peace that only exists when justice and equality exists in our world, a peace that only exists when the hungry are fed and the naked are clothed 
and the outcast is loved and included and, and welcomed into you know, the community. A peace that only exists when the oppressor stops oppressing and those who have, who have been dehumanized are humanized and fully affirmed as worthy of our love and, and God's love. This was Jesus's kind of peace. And I hope it's our peace as well. So that's the end of my talk today. As always, we wanna open it up for uh, questions and comments at first. Um, and then I have some other uh, directive questions maybe that can stimulate a conversation. But um, does anybody have any questions or comments about, about that talk today? Yeah, and you can always uh, comment in the chat column as well, uh, as Angie did. It's so wild to me that the concept of being anti-racist is divisive. Yes, it is. <laughs> Some people think that's a, a very violent kind of thing, you know, to advocate for, you know. To say Black Lives Matter to some people is really divisive. That's, that's really kind of violent to them. Uh, that doesn't sound like peace at all to them, <laughs> which is a little scary. Um, but anyway, anybody have any questions or comments? Maybe just a, just a brief comment uh, there, since you've mentioned uh, Charles Dickens. Uh, this week, I was uh, listening to a podcast because there is a, there is a new book that's called The Gospel in, in Dickens really? uh, that, was, that was just published. And it was published by Plo uh, Publishing. They have a series of different authors. I can, I can share a link in the, in the chat. Uh, there is a, The Gospel in Dickens, The Gospel in Dostoevsky, The Gospel in... Tolstoy and some other uh, wow. authors. So if literature is your thing, it's it, it's uh, they are different books of uh, you know collections and excerpts of from these authors that you know talk about their uh, vision of the of the gospel. There are six books. I think four of those are uh, freely available for for you to download. So uh, just go to that link and you know just uh, choose which one you you find like kind of most most interesting those wow. authors that you know that you've read something about so i think that uh, those are those are there available and, and all that and they were also talking about christmas carol uh obviously that about that kind of a christmas uh uh message that that that's there that's very very social and and very uh provocative and uh obviously uh kind of in our modern uh terms this kind of like anti-consumerist and anti-neoliberal and and all that so that's my my note on, on on that kind of thing and maybe on a more personal uh level uh i mean i i when i was younger i mean i'm not that old but when i was younger when i was in in high school i was a pretty problematic kid so i got to the stage when i where i was 18 i was supposed to be finishing my my high school but I haven't sounds done like, anything. Sounds like somebody's. Sounds like there's some yes, construction. Yes, yes. My, my my neighbors are. I don't know. Like like building something. So sorry for that. It's, it's cool. It's cool. Keep yeah. going. Sorry. So so I was I was 18. I was supposed to be finished with my. I was supposed to be done with my high school. But I was, you know, like right at the beginning because I was interested in everything else than than school, you know. And uh, added to that some troubles with with drug abuse and and that sort of thing. So obviously you can imagine that for my parents, uh, you know, that that time was anything but peaceful. 
So once I was 18, you know, what my parents did with a lot of pain, you know, they said, look, son, you know, you are on your own, you know, find your way uh, in this world. So I left the house. I was uh, living on my own for almost a year, uh, spent some time on the street, spent some time with Salvation Army afterwards and all that. And we needed that, you know, whatever, you know, violent, whatever painful process in order to reconcile both I and my parents and with, you know, what we want, what we expect from life. So just, just that. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all that. Vit. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's, uh, that's really interesting stuff. Um, thank you. And thank you for sharing that resource. Um, wow. The gospel in, in Dickens, Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and other yeah. classics. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, a, it's fascinating to me and I think we need to remember and so appreciate as um, Christians that this story, the gospel is really a story that has informed so much of of our lives and in the world and, and some of the greatest classical works of literature and the greatest thinkers uh, in the world for, for, for centuries, right? Uh, I think we should so appreciate and love these stories, these traditions where we are part of something so grand and so beautiful as Christians. Uh, you know, regardless of how we've deconstructed, we, we, there's so much that's still, I think, um, great about it all. Anyway, uh, good stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then looks like Ashley, you wanted me to repeat what I said. Jesus's peace is a violent kind of peace. It upsets those who want to uh, maintain certain boundaries, uh, right? Maintain um, certain in-groups and out-groups, right? Maintain certain power structures and certain social hierarchies, right? It upsets those, those people. And because, you know, by introducing Jesus's kind of peace, right, it violently kind of disrupts those power structures that people have been benefiting from for so long, like white supremacy, right? Um, and specifically like, uh, you know, cisgender uh, heteronormativity, right? And uh, these kinds of oppressive kind of anti-gay, uh, anti-black, right? Um, anti-poor mentalities that have been on full display the last few years in our nation, right? Um, anyway, uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, Laura, you commented, reminds me of the phrase, keeping the peace that is used too often to maintain the status quo, yeah. And the belief that all is is and will be well if we do not challenge our leaders, the system, right? Yeah, keeping the peace. Let's let's remain civil, right? Is kind of what people tell us today. Don't get don't get divisive. Don't get strident. Don't don't really get angry. Um, don't get hypercritical about anything. Let's all just remain civil so that everybody can feel good. And that often is not a that is not a path to Jesus's kind of peace. I would say. Good stuff. Other other thoughts. I was just going to say, especially since you've raised it um, a couple times in this talk about like the Black Lives Matter movement and how that can be divisive. First, um, and what was, what was the other one? Sorry, you said another phrase that has somehow become like racism in general and saying Black Lives Matter. Right. Oh, I talked about, um, you know, programs and policies for the poor is also, you yeah. know, treated as really divisive and, you know. Yeah, thank you. So just a real quick thing on those for for the couple examples that are brought up, it 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 struck me that I'm like, yeah, I don't know if people would actually 
the people who say they disagree with those pieces, like, I feel like if there are some way for us to remove them away from the conspiracy theory mindset that though that the people who say those don't mean them, like that's the part I always hear is like, well, of course, Black Lives Matter. But when people say it, they don't actually mean that they mean they're part of some vast conspiracy that wants to, you know, take away our guns and uh, like, you know, abolish all the police officer, you know, it turns into this whole, like, it's not really just about that. Um, so there's, I think there's a lot to talk to, um, about there, but I just, I'll say that as an aside. It's like but a Trojan other, horse for other things. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Like, like the people I know who like do have, and like the anti, like what Angie said, the people, people I know, like they acknowledge that racism exists. They just also then say, but anti-racism is a conspiracy right so it's like sure there's racism because there's racism everywhere but the people who are trying to convince you that they're fighting against racism are actually trying to take your liberty and trying to take away your guns and like and it turns into this whole socio-political like muck of conspiracy so it makes it so hard because on the surface level to be like this is stuff that we should be able to agree upon but it's been so tangled in this web um, that it becomes like impossible to um, pull apart. And the last thing I, I, I just was about to say on the, just on that last part, um, especially as we're talking about peace in 2020 um, and um, the examples you brought up, it occurs to me that the Black Lives Matter phrase is, is really, really important, uh, the no justice, no peace. Um, and I, I, I know for me, it's helped me to meditate on like this concept of peace because I'm definitely someone who, used to think of like you know just peace is just like avoiding conflict at all costs like um everyone being civil and nice like that used to be like what especially like christmas peace meant like hey you know you don't think i should exist but let's smile and sing a christmas song together yeah right and it's like the black lives matter movement has done a really great job of framing you know the phrase no justice no peace and shining a light on saying we can't actually know and have peace without the efforts and the movement towards justice to remove the systematic things and the things that are above or, or I guess below that surface level that I was just talking about that actually it doesn't matter how many times we calm the surface of the water like if there's not justice done underneath then that's a fake peace um, and MLK talks a lot about this too but um, those are kind of the the thoughts swirling um, in the examples that you used, and um, yeah, lot to talk about there. If any anyone wants to, thanks, Max. Other other thoughts, reflections. Just a just a general thought for me on this, real quick. I, it was just uh, I I appreciated your talk today, Aaron. Um, uh, recently, I was watching the documentary Roger and Me. Uh, Michael Moore's documentary from the late '80s about um, about Flint, Michigan, and uh, and GM closing the auto plants in Flint, Michigan. And towards the end of the documentary, there's a there's a moment where they show Roger Smith, the, the then CEO of GM, speaking to shareholders at his at their Christmas banquet and talking about um, uh, Dickens as this. Um, uh, role model for Christmas, for generosity, and, uh, you know, and things like that. And more juxtaposes that with homes in Flint, Michigan, uh, and just sort of the, the sort of wealth disparity. So I, I pre and that I just watching that maybe two weeks ago, 
has kind of framed my uh, thoughts going into Advent and thinking about the Christmas season. So good, kind of interesting to to come in and hear the um, sort of continuing my already ongoing thought process of thinking about Dickens and um, and that story in that political light and sort of uh, social light. So I appreciated your talk today. Thanks, man. Thanks, thanks, Steve. Uh, other thoughts, reflections. Yeah, I'm, I'm also curious to hear, um, you know, kind of steering away from uh, peace as justice. We can keep talking about that, but I'm, I am curious um, to hear how um, your faith still brings you peace, <laughs> uh, if it does at all, you know, um, and certainly the way we're talking about it today, this is a big part of how I think of peace in my quote unquote ex-evangelical deconstructed Christian faith. But you know, I think there's other understandings of how we experience peace, uh, you know, right now. And, and I'm just curious, I'm going to open up for a broader conversation, if you're interested in having it. Uh, how does your faith, as it is now, uh, still bring you peace? Does it? Do you still find peace with your faith? Or has it become just, um, I don't know, something else? But uh, just want to put that out there if anybody wants to reflect on that. Otherwise, we can continue talking about uh, peace and justice in, in regards to that. Uh, I have a thought. Um, I don't, I feel like I, I experienced like a, a back and forth between um, feeling peace and something that's not peace. <laughs> um, you know, it, this idea of Christmas for me reminds me of, of times where um, I either saw or was aware, like, I was in a circumstance where I felt that we didn't have enough and we were sort of struggling, you know? And then I became aware of people who had a lot less, like a lot less. So whether it's resources or they just had nobody or something like that. And then it becomes very hard to celebrate. Like if you've ever been near someone who doesn't have food, your food kind of loses its flavor, even if you're really hungry. Like it's a very like, you know, um, obviously anybody that's typically that's like you can share, but I'm saying like, if you can't and you know, um, and so I find that like, when I think about these ideas, my faith does not bring me peace. Mm. It's, uh, it's disturbing. And I think, you know, it does feel violent when you learn of someone else's suffering. You know, if you're, not that I've ever been rich, but I think I'm relatively rich, right? And so if I'm not like super rich, so you kind of think, well, nothing's wrong. I'm doing my thing. Like you don't feel malicious or bad, but if the information comes to you of what <clears throat> your circumstances cost someone else, it feels violent if, if that idea comes to you and you don't expect it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's hurtful, 
like well, I don't know if that's the right word, but it but it hurts. It comes from a source, and it, and that message hurts. And and to the extent that that is tied to your faith, um, I don't know. It just it doesn't bring me peace. And I I think the other side of it is, um, knowing how to make a difference. I think that's to me where I, I, I do feel peace. Um, like there is a way to, to sort of connect with people and to share. Um, it's like, even if you don't have anything, there's probably someone that has less. Um, and in a funny way, this is where, I mean, you know, if you go like the, the Scrooge kind of story, um, the poor people had their family something Scrooge did not have. That's a good point. Um, so there is this kind of exchange of wealth in a way when you reach out to people who maybe are also blessed by their suffering because of insights that, that, that you may not have from a certain kind of, of privilege or advantage. Um, and so there is always that opportunity for peace, but I think that the bruising is always a tough journey when you realize that like something about what we have or who we are is costing someone else so much. Thanks for that reflection, JP. Um, Gail, uh, you unmuted a minute ago. Um, I thought maybe you wanted to share something. Yeah, thanks. Um what JP was just saying about, um, I think about his piece being disbid, um, I guess what I was gonna ask earlier was how do we maintain a posture of allowing our peace to be disrupted? Because I think that is, I think our tendency as humans can be to find another space where we can be right and you know, like try to show other people the way and um, and so I guess like for, yeah, like for me, like there's what there are that I try to do and maintain that how you stay in a posture of, I guess, beginner's mind, if you're going to go, you know, like a posture of like learning and listening and, and allowing my inner peace to be disrupted. So that change and growth can continue to happen inside of me because I think it's imperative to create change. So yeah. I just wanted to pose that question. It's a great question. And you know, for me personally, I'll respond to that. And then I'd like to hear some others. I I think it's so important to lean into empathy and to and to mm -hmm. first of all, you know, <laughs> lean lean into empathy, meaning lean into compassion lean into what is best for my neighbor, right? And the questions like what's best for human well-being and human flourishing. Um, and in that way, be always radically open to changing your quote, you know, religious, social, or political convictions based upon how we answer those questions within community, listening to the other, you know, this kind of, um, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, the identity politics, I think, has certainly its, its problems, but it's helped us understand that, you know, especially those of us with privilege and power, we have to learn how to listen and, and learn how to be radically open to change and to being wrong and to being disrupted and to having, to not feel at peace. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and, and so, 
you know, for me, leaning to empathy, leaning into a kind of a posture of, of openness, which is extremely uh, difficult sometimes with, you know, the, the, the others in our midst, allow their story to inform us, to, you know, to, to change the way we think, right? To allow their, to take their experiences seriously. Um, but again, as you said, Gail, that feels scary. That feels disruptive because it means changing perhaps our closest held beliefs and convictions, whether they be religious or political or both, right? Um, so that's, that, that's something I think we endeavor to foster in a community like this, right? Um, as people yeah. who have kind of left behind a lot of ideological baggage, right? And are trying to, you know, recover from a lot of that spiritual trauma and, and actually kind of ideological or intellectual trauma um, and, and, you know, being, being part of sort of an oppressive group. Um, so I, I so value voices like yours and, and um, I, I think that's important. Um, and I think it helps to understand that a, becoming comfortable with unknowing, becoming comfortable with disruption, in other words, becoming comfortable with having your views challenged, that in itself is a kind of peace. So in other words, we can find a kind of inner peace, a kind of inner serenity. And you know this very well as a yogi uh, and as a practitioner of, of meditation. And I'm, I don't know what the words are to use for you, but, uh, but you, you understand, a lot of us understand, and you understand specifically, Gail, that adopting and, and becoming comfortable with discomfort, becoming comfortable with discomfort is a path to quote unquote comfort. But it's not a comfort without discomfort. It's not a peace without you know, despair. It's not a peace without turmoil. It is a peace that is realized through the radical acceptance of those things, which is dialectical, which is radical theology. And now I'm going to go off into that tangent and I'll stop myself. But um, I, does that does that work? Uh, somebody else want to add to that? I wanted to say too quick, just of knowing what your role is. In, you know, I mean, you, when JP was speaking, I know like for me, like I get overwhelmed by all of the things that I could help with or have a voice in or stand up for, or, you know, and it can become extremely, one person can't. And so I feel like it, the tr it can be really tricky and super important to have some sort of practice tuning with whatever you want to call it, spirit, universe, God inside. So, you know, only what your role is because the rest you can't do, you know, and that's a really tough practice. Yep. And I really resonate with what he was saying in that way. So, sorry, if anyone else wanted to chime in. Yeah, the, we're describing kind of the depths of what spirituality is here, <laughs> you know, being, being, uh, you know, diminishing our ego and, you know, uplifting our spirit, you know, uh, living into the spirit and not our ego means, you know, learn, learning to live in, in the discomfort of existence, the difficulty, embracing the difficulties of existence. Um, yeah. Other thoughts today? For me, I can go on video. I probably look crazy. Um, hello. Hi there. Welcome. <laughs> Hi. Um, for me, I do think that the Lord wants us to know some peace in him and to feel peace in his presence and perhaps more so in the understanding of who he is and 
his broad understanding of our lives and his greater plan. But at the same time, I've had such a hard time feeling peace. And like, I think the word peace is triggering for me (laughs) because it's so often like kind of weaponized by Christians in order to um, silence you. And um, it just like creates like a sense of stress for me. And I would love to like repurpose that and like win that back for myself. And I, I do think the Lord wants that. And I, at the same time, like when you go through a lot of trauma and then like for me, I've been to a lot of churches that are like very well-intentioned. Like I agree with them theologically, let's say, but then it's a lot of like white middle-class, upper middle-class people who like haven't been through a lot. And like, I've been through a lot of traumas of like, like suicides and things around me. And then when people are using these like messages of peace and God in response, rather than like seeking to empathize and to like, understand that suffering has a place a time and a place and that you don't want to necessarily be focused on finding God's peace when you're in grief and suffering like it just sorry I'm like I'm really no, you're making a lot of sense you're making a lot of sense remember what I'm saying sure. um yeah it's just like become a source of stress for me like oh in those environments it has felt really difficult for me to feel like understood. Like I, I realize people mean well when they say like, oh, like the Lord knows what he's doing, whatever. But then to me, the idea that the Lord is like all knowing and like all of these concepts feels very dark because I'm like, okay, so the Lord knew I was going to go through this trauma and he knew of all the blood and the just everything that was going to happen and thinking of that in the future like people are like oh I find peace in knowing that God knows what's going to happen and he has this whole plan and I'm like okay well his plan has been really freaky so far and I have not found peace in that yet and so no it does not provide me peace but again, I would like to find peace in a way that isn't, I, I just feel that it's been used by people who are not accustomed to suffering in order to silence you either in like uncomfortable political conversations or in situations where your experiences or trauma is too complex for them and they don't know what to say and so they offer their peace and their ideas of peace and it just like totally misses the mark and loses all of its uh all of its meaning and all of its power yeah yeah that's that's really powerful thank you for sharing that um Jacqueline did we call you Jacqueline Jackie (laughs) Jacqueline please Jacqueline sure um, and thank you, thank you for sharing all that. Does somebody, um, I'm seeing people comment in the chat column to you and saying that they're, they're tracking along there, they completely agree and, and feel that. And uh, anybody want to respond? 
I was just reminded when, when Jacqueline was describing this, well, when there is like, uh, when people say peace, peace, and there is no peace of this right. verse in Jeremiah uh, 6, right, where, uh, where there is this, this, this verse, they dress the wound of my people with very little care, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace uh, at all, right? Are they ashamed of their abomination they have committed, et cetera, et cetera, right? So it's a very, very easy kind of solution very often for, for you know, to, to stop conversation and stop, you know, talking about the, the real problem that's, that's, that's happening and yeah. all that. Yeah, and, and Jacqueline, I, I would say how I've, I've wrestled through and still wrestle with exactly the conundrums you are expressing. Um, you know, people who say in the moments of great suffering and grief, oh, but God has a plan or this is just part of God's will. God's in control. You can trust that God, everything's under control and this must be just part of his good, good will. And we can't know what that is at this time. But when we get to heaven, you know, maybe then we'll know or we just have to trust that it's part of God's will. And to that, I say bullshit. And, and, and for me, the cross and Christianity, especially the cross is, is not about how everything's under control. At, at the cross, God cries out, Jesus, God despairs of God. God cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cross and the message of Christianity is really not that everything's under control and everything's going to be okay, you know, but rather that God meets us in our sufferings, that we are not alone, um, that, and we, that ultimately life is absurd and we struggle through it and we don't have all the answers. But through the radical acceptance of those difficult truths, through quote unquote, you know, participating with Christ on the cross or, or meeting Christ in his sufferings, we can, we can affirm life. So we, we can find joy in the midst of life in all, in the, in all of its difficulties and all of its joys and all of its struggles and all, its, all of its celebrations. We can find the strength and the courage to go on. And for me, this is really the message of the cross in Christianity. It's not that everything's under control and everything's going to be okay. What could be more out of control than a crucified God? What could be more out of control and not okay than a crucified God? Um, so for me, the cross is, is, is really subversive stuff to that kind of anxiety-ridden response to life struggles. Everything's going to be okay because God's under, under control. That response is an unspiritual response to me. The spiritual response is to say, yeah, you're right. Life's out of control. It's chaotic. We don't know where we're going. We, we don't know why we're here, but through the radical acceptance of that reality, through making peace with that, uh, I think we can make peace with that to some degree is what I'm saying, but through kind of accepting that, we can find serenity, we can find the courage to be, we can find hope, we can find peace, but only, only through accepting that this is reality and arriving at where reality is and not circumventing that or short-circuiting that with religious platitudes and empty religious sanctimonious kind of religious platitudes like everything everything's under control and this must be just part of God's goodwill for us no no for, so for me that's that's kind of the heart of the gospel and that's how I find peace in this kind of you know deconstructed ex-evangelical faith that we call you know Christianity still <laughs> but anyway that's I'm saying a lot but uh anybody want to respond to that does that does that make sense, Jacqueline? I mean, I'm just curious about your reaction to that. If you want to react, you don't have to. I have to think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I so appreciate you being here today. Thank you. How did you find out about this, if I may ask? Uh, someone at Fuller mentioned it. Ah, Fuller. Well, we've got a lot of Fuller people here. Welcome. You're among friends. Hey, Jacqueline. Um, I just, I wanted to respond to your 
trauma and peace and kind of working through that. I think you said something that was really important that maybe a lot of people not in a, well, I mean, anywhere, I guess can miss is you have to move through that trauma. It's not something that you can just get over um, or at least grief or whatever um, things you're experiencing. Definitely I've, I've experienced that in my own life as people tell me as well, you know, just find the peace in it or get over it um, is another way to say that. And so I've always found peace in the process, if that makes sense. Peace in the working through it every day and really making progress. And that's how I've kind of felt peace. I hope that makes sense to you. Yeah, that, uh, that kind of reminds me of this conversation that I had um, with, a, with a cousin of mine where we were talking about um, uh, the, the phrase, uh, there's, there's a reason why things happen or, you know, this happened for a reason, you know, because, you know, it's in his will, but I think what we ended up arriving to was, or uh, the point that we arrived, arrived to was that uh, we find more peace in discovering the reasons that led up to something happening rather than just imagining, oh, it must be some mysterious like path that I'll eventually discover later on in life, oh, this is why this happened. This is why I lost my sister. This is why this person had to, you know, die in a car accident, you know, and it's more so long, like I find more peace in recognizing what led to those things so that maybe in the future, I don't make a certain choice or I, I use that past experience to guide my future rather than, um, rather than just hoping it all works out in the end. Yeah, that's that's kind of what it reminded me of. Thank you, David. Thanks, May. Anybody else have any comments um, today? Good conversation. Good Advent conversation. <laughs> I I just want to say thank you to all of you who shared, as always, and the level of vulnerability. Um, here is, I think, in itself, just deeply encouraging and 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 a blessing. And uh, I, I get a lot of hope and peace from just these relationships and these conversations. And wanted to express that and say thank you. And this is therapeutic, <laughs> um, and we so need this at this time and in, in the very difficult circumstances of our life right now. And um, little respites like this are, are really important. And so thank you. Um, it's 11:35, and so we've been uh, we've been meeting now for a little while, and so we'll conclude with that officially. But if you want to hang around and and chat, we can do that some more. But we are officially dismissed. Next week we'll talk about joy. That's the the third theme of Advent: joy. I'm not sure what I'm gonna say about joy yet. I'll find something to say about joy. Uh, it's an intense word, joy. How can we find joy in the midst of a pandemic and and a radical little community that says? Yeah, shit happens. Uh, how do we find joy? Um, we'll talk about it next week. And I look forward to hearing your thoughts as well. Uh, but it's a joy being here with all of you. So go in peace, go in hope, go in joy. Mm -hmm.